Welcome back to the Sober Curious podcast with me, Ruby Warrington. And this is the final episode of the current season. It has been such a huge pleasure to curate this fall 2019 lineup. I've learned probably as much as you guys from all the different guests that I've had on. So part of why I launched this podcast was to give a voice to all of the different reasons a person might find themselves opting out of the drinking culture. And today's guests offer yet another perspective on this. Nikki and Annika Sawney are the sibling co-founders of alcohol-free drinks brand Groovy. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know that it's thanks to their support that I've even been able to produce this series. We finally got to meet in person when I went to Denver to host some events recently, and I asked them to sit down with me to share their sober curious story. At first, I'll have to admit they were a little hesitant. Neither of them have a history of addiction and there's no dramatic rock bottom to share. I feel like they thought maybe the interview wouldn't be as interesting, but that is part of the reason I wanted to interview them. We don't have to reach a rock bottom or have experienced horrific fallout from our drinking to want to get sober or sober curious. And they're both a really good example of that. For them, it was more a case that they grew up in a super health conscious family where alcohol just wasn't really a thing, meaning it never really imprinted in them as something they needed to do or be a part of. So yeah, like I said, you don't have to wait until your drinking has got that bad before making a decision to choose a sober life. In this episode, we also talk about experimenting with cannabis as a family and the legalization of weed creating a need for non-alcoholic drinks moving the whole family along with the dog from Toronto to Denver to start their business, the benefits and challenges of running a family business, the links between sobriety, self-belief and entrepreneurship. It's a huge one that I need to learn about. (laughs) Sober curiosity as a mindset of growth and progress, feeling the peer pressure when opting out of college drinking culture, Binge drinking as a stand-in for relaxation in overachievers, another one that I'm like waving my hand in the air over here about. Being healthy as a punishment or atonement for hangovers, a really interesting dynamic there. And the potential for zero-proof drinks following the same trajectory as the meat-free movement. So all of that is discussed and more in this interview. I'll be back on the other side briefly, but for now, this is Nikki and Annika. Nikki, Annika, welcome to the Sober Curious podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having us, honestly. Um, I think this is just great to open up the conversation and you've kind of created that language for us to be able to do so. So we're excited to be here. Yeah, thank you, Ruby. (laughs) Um, You guys who've been listening to this whole series will have heard me talking about Groovy, who are an alcohol-free drinks company based out of Denver, Colorado. Um, which is where I am today. I'm in town hosting a couple of events and I'm with the founders of Groovy um, to hear a bit about their story, their entrepreneurial path, their own experiences of being sober curious um, and what led them to taking a risk on creating a product that's in a really new and developing space and really, as we shall learn, putting everything (laughs) into it. So yeah, thank you again, guys, for like your support of this series. Like honestly, the podcast couldn't actually happen with with guys like you. So I'm hugely grateful. Thank you. Um, I'd love to hear from you. I only learned last night when we were having dinner that you only moved to Denver about eight months ago because you felt like this would be the perfect town to launch a company like Groovy. 
And I'd love to, um, perhaps Nikki, you can tell us kind of about the, the aha moment that led to the inception of Groovy and how that kind of like led to you moving not just yourself, but your entire family <laughs> to Denver. And the dog. And the dog. <laughs> in order to realize this vision. Like when did it start? How long ago? Um, so it started about a year and a half ago. Uh, and I think, you know, as many people have ideas on what their business or product could be, ours changed quite a bit from, you know, our initial idea to where we are today. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people kind of laugh at our initial concept, but uh, the idea really came, um, uh, well, we're from Canada and came from a cannabis legalization party because uh, cannabis legalized in Canada federally about a year ago. Mm -hmm. And so as a family, we went to a party um, and there was, you know, 40 people there, uh, all different age groups and uh, familiarity with cannabis or, or not, a lot of new people. Mm -hmm. And what we realized is people came to this party and, you know, as they're used to socializing with alcohol, they drank and had wine and gin and tonics. And then we brought out, you know, the cannabis and people, you know, either had an edible or vaped or, you know, did whatever they wanted to do. Uh -huh. And then we're kind of looking around and the party was just like <laughs> in a rough shape. I was going to say, I can kind of imagine where this is going, actually. Yeah, that's quite a potent combo. Yeah. And so you had people that, you know, were, you know, 50 years old lying down on the couch and like <laughs> people were, you know, in the washroom and stuff like that. And, you know, we kind of... My dad and I had, were looking around and, and we're like, this, this isn't going to work, mm. right? If, uh, you know, if cannabis is going to become um, a substance that's socially acceptable, mm. um, people are going to need uh, a beverage that they feel comfortable with to, to have that's not going to put them at risk of a bad experience. Mm. Um, so we kind of had that, uh, you know, thought of or how can we solve that problem? Mm. And so we're like, okay, what's, you know, what kind of beverages would originally go well with cannabis? And we're like, hey, cannabis is healthy. It's adult. It can be social. And so the beverages needed to be healthy, adult, social as well, mm. Um, mm. but without the alcohol. Mm. Yeah. And I think part of it was, you know, people had not experienced with cannabis before. And so maybe they would take something and they'd be like, oh, this isn't doing anything and go back to what they were used to, which was alcohol. Right. And so it was just kind of ingrained in them to like reach for that glass of wine, but that wasn't turning out well, right? Yeah, that wasn't a good mix. Yeah, yeah. No. Or it was, they were getting the experience they weren't expecting. When you say people were in the washrooms, you mean people were actually getting sick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I'm like surprised. everyone had to like Uber home, Uber home, and like <laughs> slept there. Yeah, people slept there. Like was, ten people it was slept bad. there. Bad. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what a scene yeah. and like any such kind of like That's trippy like visuals up, right? it really is and like, I'm just this loving is the not fact a good scene so yeah. I'm loving the fact that you were there as a family and that's so you two kids and your mum and dad and the dog no, 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 no. no. <laughs> but there's again other families there as well. Like there's very right. like a multi generational yeah kind of party yeah wow um, and like you know we kind of realized like consuming canvas only took take like five minutes right. And if you, the, the duration of a party is going to be a few hours, right? What, what, what else are you going to, to do mm. if you're not drinking alcohol, right? You, mm. need, you need that activity. And you've uh, got that dry cotton mouth. Yeah, you're so, you're so <laughs> thirsty. You need something, right? Exactly. And so that, yeah. that was kind of how the whole idea started. So had you been aware of the kind of like alcohol-free 
movement that was, I guess, a year and a half ago still pretty new like even from my own experience of looking you know being sober curious and as a beer drinker really enjoying alcohol-free beer it was only very recently like even there was like O'Doul's and Klaus Tower and then Klaus Tower brought out a dry hopped version and it was like oh my goodness yeah this is amazing choice (laughs) and now even like a year and a half later there's there is so much choice on the market were you aware of that kind of industry (laughs) brewing or was it just like a totally eureka out there moment we we were kind of uh, aware of it because once we started looking into how to produce non-alcoholic beer, then we started really researching it, right? And realized, okay, this is, you know, uh, a growing trend and there's definitely a, a lack of options mm. out there, right? Mm. There was no non-alcoholic IPAs at the time or mm. sour beers and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So we were definitely aware of the trend. Um, I thought my initial perception was that there was a lot of people that... Um, wouldn't be necessarily open to trying a non-alcoholic beer, Mm. right? They're like, you know, I'm not going to try it. And so uh, original thought was, you know, let's let's give them a reason to try a non-alcoholic beer for the first time. And if they've consumed cannabis, there's a real reason Mm. to try it. And, Mm. you know, maybe they'll enjoy it because they've had in that experience and it can extend to non-cannabis related um, situations in their life, Mm. right? So that was kind of the... Create a, create a perfect scenario for Groovy and mm. kind of expand from there. As an entrepreneur myself, I'm just like so fascinated with how ideas and concepts, like you say, from their, in, their inception, do morph and change over time. So how, where have you got to now? Is that, is, how close to that original kind of idea and pitch with the brand are you now? So I think it was... It was I mean, a little bit of a lack of planning on, on my end, but um, so that was the whole idea. We developed the the brands and or the, the flavors to go well with cannabis. So like mm. the hops and IPA and mm-hmm. sour and mm-hmm. citrusy and, and stuff like that. And then I packed up the car and drove <laughs> myself first before the family two months uh, earlier to come to Denver and, you know, had our, our products in these unmarked silver cans and went to moonshine yeah i went to, to some of the dispensaries <laughs> mm. i'm like you know what we're gonna sell in dispensaries mm. and uh knocked on a few doors and they're like oh no we, we would we would never sell this we can't sell this here why um because it didn't contain any thc and oh, so because it didn't con- yeah. they yeah. own they, are they only licensed to sell yeah. like yeah. thc they can't only sell anything without thc um so wow. even cbd if it's strictly cbd it can't be sold in the dispensary it has to be like a side okay. shop wow yeah. i did not know that mm-hmm. and yeah. so we didn't know that either. I see. yeah we didn't right. know that either so, like, so i got oh, here shoot. <laughs> I, I called home and i'm like guys we, we have we have nowhere to sell the product that we developed and mm. what are we gonna what are we gonna do mm. um and so then we're like, you know, let's let's put it in some liquor stores. Mm. And then from there, it just like flew off the shelf. And we're like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, Amazing. I guess you know. And and we had to, you know, we had to assume that the people that were buying it were, you know, consumers looking for better quality non-alcoholic beers, not yeah. necessarily anything to do with the original kind of cannabis compliment that we were really well who knows they might be looking at it for that reason mm-hmm. you know yeah. there could be any there could be multiple reasons why people are seeking an alcohol-free beer and that could definitely be one of them i think it's really cool that you identified that super super niche market and that that was enough of a kind of a spark for you to say so this is the other thing i want to ask you about like it really is a family or own business right you guys are brother and sister 
your parents have, I met your mum Sue is it last yeah. night and she's really involved she has a little groovy pin on <laughs> and I guess is your dad involved too yeah so he's very much involved our mum is our VP of packing that's mm-hmm. what we call her so if you've ever ordered something from groovy she's hand packed it all from her house and she puts uh, whatever recycling we have around the house to fill those boxes um, and then my uh, my dad as well helps with you know the whole operations of the business so it was, it was kind of a unique time in life because I had quit my software job a year earlier and was traveling before I started this. Both our parents were retired mm. and my sister had just graduated university. Mm-hmm. And so as a family, nobody would <laughs> Love it. Perfect. So it's like, you know, when do you get this chance where nobody in your family is working and they're all open to, you know, getting together and, and trying to build a company? I just yeah. love it. It's the kind of I mean, story. I would have never thought that we would be here, right? Like, I would have never thought that I'd be working with my brother, you know? Right. Um, so that's so what was crazy. my question. You haven't, like, as a family, kind of collaborated in this kind of a way before. Or have you? Have you? Not, on, on I mean, anything? not really. So, like, we, I mean, we're living in the same house now, like, all together in Denver. And you were gone for university and hadn't been back since then. So that was how many years ago? Yeah, like, I haven't... We haven't all lived here in ten plus years. Yeah, so... It, yeah, it's a change, but it's cool. It's fun. It's exciting. Yeah, how's it going? Because I can like people say, don't go into business with your <laughs> friends, and I can, this is like taking that even to another level. Like it seems like you guys all get along super well, but have there been like challenges in kind of being in such close quarters and knowing each other so well, or do you think it's actually beneficial? I mean, personally, in terms of our relationship, we are obviously siblings, but like we were never the closest. We wouldn't like text all the time and be like hey, how's it going and checking up? Like, we'd see each other and we'd be happy to see each other, but we didn't have that, like, really close relationship. And I think it's partly also our age difference. We're five years apart. Mm. Um, So I think for us, this has been really good to just, like, you know, honestly bond and be, like, closer siblings, right? Um, Mm. So it's a a cool experience for us. It really, really is. I would love to hear a little bit. I mean, that decision to move to Denver. So obviously it was because Colorado was one of the first states in the U.S. to, like, legalized Mm -hmm. marijuana right and there's also i think you mentioned last night there's a big craft brewery scene here so Mm -hmm. it just felt like a natural fit but that's a i mean that's a huge decision to not only decide to move yourself but to convince the whole family to kind of like get in a car and uproot and move to a different country (laughs) to to launch something that i mean again like as an entrepreneur and this is one of the reasons i'm really happy to have you on the podcast because i think a lot of people come to sober curiosity because maybe they have a side hustle there's something they there's something in them that they know they want to bring forth and they want more clarity more time more focus more Mm. energy and more self-belief all of which we can get through cutting out alcohol get all of which we can cultivate Mm -hmm. through cutting out alcohol so i think a lot of people listening maybe you know have have something they'd like to get off the ground and i'd just love to hear a bit about the kind of mindset that that you've you've needed to have what you've needed to um yeah cultivate to to have the the self-belief to kind of uproot and and just put everything into this yeah i think aniko was talking about this a little bit earlier but the you know you felt that cutting alcohol back significantly almost felt like a a life hack Mm -hmm. for you right and you know as as a family we're a very health-oriented family but Mm -hmm. we're also very um, like, like at least feel like efficient or trying to get the most out of each day. Mm. And so, you know, our family would, we would do like keto as a family, <laughs> right. right? Or we would do like 
48 hour fasts, right? right to, to how can we become, you know, healthier mm, kind of thing. Mm. So our whole family mentality is always around, you know, what's new and how can we be better? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that's kind of that mentality of, you know, starting this business. Um, I think that kind of led into it as well. Mm. And I think we're all very, we crave change and we like change and always going for that. Like even um, in high school, um, my parents and I, we decided to move from Toronto to Quebec. And I just randomly, they told me like three weeks beforehand and we were in Quebec and I was going to high school there all of a sudden, you know, and it was just for a change of scenery and exploring and, you know, adapting. You grow a lot in those kinds of settings, right? Mm. So, you know, I think when when Nikki was kind of like, let's do this, you almost didn't think twice. It was like, okay, let, let's do this then, you know, like go all in and give it our best. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. It wasn't actually at that hard of a, a decision. Like it's, <laughs> really? it's, now that you, you kind of, you phrased it the way that you did, <laughs> it, it sounds like, you know, a, a big decision, but you know, it, it didn't really feel like it. Yeah. at the time it was like i went there and like okay it's kind of going are you guys coming or what, or what? They're like, yeah okay let's we'll, we'll, we'll be there we'll be there you know a month later yeah. and where should we live i don't know let's start with an airbnb and get a bigger house and it's really inspiring i mean i just know so many people who procrastinate for years trying to get something off the ground you mm -hmm. know and i think what you've described that mentality of like if if it can improve things Although not even necessarily, if we, if we can progress in this way, then let's try it, mm -hmm. you know? And if it doesn't work, then we'll reroute and we'll go back to the drawing board, but let's try it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's very open-minded and exactly it's very progressive. That. Like it morphs and it changes and you don't have to have the perfect thing right away, you know? And we, I've grown with it too, right? So mm. it's okay to just go for it and then kind of adapt and change and mold until you are exactly where you want to be, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel like most people can fall, like you can always go back to where you were. Yeah. Right. Like even if you have left a job or you left a place, um, more often than not, you've, I mean, I feel like you can, you can go back to where you were, right. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not as. You can go back to what was comfortable. Yeah. Because it, having lived it, it's always going to be comfortable, even if it was not what you wanted. It was, it's still kind of like, like better the devil, you know, that kind of mentality, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. But even, I think even for, for anyone getting sober or sober curious, like for whatever reason, taking that, it's a leap to remove that substance or to remove yourself from environments where alcohol is being consumed. If that's been your, if that's been what com what's comfortable and what's mm -hmm. familiar to you, mm -hmm. it can be a real leap. So I think the mindset you're describing is very much like, yeah, we, we engage it when we're getting sober curious too, you know? It's like, I choose to believe that that, going forward and making this kind of risky decision or this risky seemingly risky leap is going to improve things and I'm feeling a pull towards it so I'm just going to go with it and I'm going to try it out mm -hmm. I mean and for me anyway with the company has kind of also been my sober curiosity right mm. and so it's been you know kind of like that kind of a clean slate it was stepping away from you know my university life and, and jumping into something new and you know then really being able to explore my sober curiosity and um groovy has really helped me by you know also being the beverage that like i want to be drinking so yeah right? um yeah yeah i'd love to hear a bit about your your own drinking lives and histories now annika do you want to start you mentioned like college is a time when a lot of us yeah engage in heavy drinking right yeah. was that the case for you um yeah so really um I probably started at some point in high school um especially when I said I moved to Quebec mm. and Quebec's a lot more of an 
open place like that where it was just like readily available but also just like families are a lot more accepting like if i would go over to a friend's house the mom would be drinking a beer and so would the 15 year old kid and it would right. be fine right yeah 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 um and and then definitely university was a heavy drinking place um my whole group of friends like was yeah we think back on on it now it's very much associated with alcohol right mm-hmm. and um that kind of lifestyle and you you look at it now and i was even thinking the other day like how did i even do that like how did i survive a hangover like four times a week and like function you know like <laughs> I, I can't even comprehend how that was a thing that we used to do right mm-hmm. and um but it was just normal like mm-hmm. i never thought twice about it i mm-hmm. just kind of followed the group and you know the group we go out on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and you mm-hmm. just you go with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's definitely that kind of culture. And so I would think that more or less kind of a year ago that I kind of started being more sober curious, and it was actually still in my last year of university. Mm-hmm. Um, I did an extra semester um, where so most of our friends had already graduated, and we were a lot of a smaller crew. And I think I just kind of put my effort and focus a lot more on school and I was doing like an honors program and stuff and just didn't feel the need that I needed to like go out and party and go to like a club. And um, I was also a part of this um, like bar, a Thursday night happy hour bar that I would work at with like all my friends. Mm-hmm. And it's one Work out, you mean work like behind serve, the bar? You serve, were serving, yeah. all right, okay. But it's a very casual setting. It's yeah. not like an actual bar. Right. And... Um, yeah, in the, in that setting, it's one dollar beer, so it's like you know that on Thursdays you it's like you know you're getting drunk on Thursdays yeah. because you're going to this, right? Yeah. And I kind of started to just not even be interested in going because, you know, I didn't want to be hungover every Friday, and it was mm. just getting like tedious in my life, right? Mm-hmm. And I used to have a lot of quizzes on Friday mornings, and I kind of look back on it now, and I was like, I don't know if I was using that as my excuse, mm. kind of. Well, I'm not drinking. I have a quiz tomorrow, or the fact that I didn't want to be hungover for my quiz tomorrow. Yeah, right. They were kind of feeding into <laughs> yeah, each other. Yeah, exactly. But it kind of gave me that out on it. And um, I think that's something that I've only realized more recently looking back on that situation. Because mm. like I said, it was just not something that I thought twice about, right? Mm. Like it was just normal and normal in my group of friends. Um, and so how did they react when you sort of began to opt out of it? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely would get that FOMO and uh, definitely feel that pressure. Um, and I think that's why at the beginning using a kind of an excuse with my quiz and mm. stuff like that was mm. like helpful. Um, I also think it was nice cause I, I also had my boyfriend and like, you know, it, I was able to kind of just like exclude and not actually go out to all of these yeah, events because right. I had someone that would stay back with me. Mm-hmm. I think otherwise it would have been even more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've kind of taken that to the next level now by being in Denver and, and moving here right and so kind of that fresh slate and really taking periods of time without any alcohol yeah and that's where I'm like damn this feels like so good right like (laughs) you know I'm doing yoga every day I'm like eating I'm just more in tune with my body and you had mentioned this yesterday is like you can actually hear all those cues Mm -hmm. that you know your body is giving you that I guess I didn't even know that it was trying to give me before, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, being able to do yoga, being able to have time to like cook the meals that I want to cook. I really enjoy cooking, mm-hmm. um, you know, all of these things. And still, you know, I guess I haven't had as much social pressure here because it is a new area yeah. for me. 
Um, and I'm, you're also the founder, co-founder of Groovy. So yeah. like, you could, do you feel like there's a, not pressure, but like, do you feel a responsibility to kind of like walk the path? I know for me, like as soon as I started speaking openly and being a quote unquote public figure in this space, mm-hmm. it was almost like holding, giving myself an accountability of like, okay, I need to actually like walk my talk. I need to really commit to this if I'm going to be talking about it. Yeah, I mean, I think really with um, Groovy is that whole point is it's it's really focused on being social and, you know, we're both young, I'm 23 and I I have so much of my life to be social, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not something that I want to give up. I love being with my friends and Mm -hmm. I love going to concerts and all those things that, you know, were always associated with alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's really what now Groovy has developed for me is to be like something in that social space where I can now feel comfortable and whether it's just having that drink in your hand that I can sip on, you know, like that eases that social anxiety that you, mm-hmm. you get, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and stops people questioning. Yeah, so exactly. Much, you know, you know, you shouldn't have to explain why, you know, yeah. and I'm, I'm actually going back to Toronto on Tuesday. So I'm a, like a little nervous because, you know, I've changed a lot over these six months being mm-hmm. away and... I, I don't know what my friends are up to, but I think, you know, mm-hmm. there's going to still be a lot of drinking in their mm-hmm. lives. And mm-hmm. so I guess I'm going to be facing that challenge a lot yeah. more head on in like three days. <laughs> so it'll I'll be, be interesting. of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And how about you, Nikki? Um, so again, a similar upbringing from mm. in university, mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. drinking a ton, um, partying <laughs> a lot. And so... You know, even when I graduated and started working, that continued for, you know, the first three or so years of my working life. In sort of tech. Yeah, I was yeah. working in software sales. Right. And again, sales is also a, a you know, drinking heavy yeah. type job. Yeah. Um, and so that, you know, as a team, we would always go out, get drunk. That The team events were around basically mm-hmm. getting drunk and, and what that was the activity, right? Um, and... You know, as like what my own body was telling me was that like I'd feel a lot of like shame or regret um, on like Sundays, basically, because, you know, I was working, but I also was developing an app at the time. Mm. And so I like my my work week would basically I'd be super clean from Monday to like Friday at like three, like eat super clean workout every single day. And then from like Friday till Saturday night, it was like disgusting. Like <laughs> as much alcohol as I could have, drunk food, all that. And so it was like this, like, you know, you're, it, it, it plays a toll on your mind to go from, you know, destroying your body to yeah. now trying to, you know, um, fix it. Yeah. Or even like you said, I think there's so much, um, that cycle breeds so much shame because you're almost, you know that you're looking after yourself and you're doing all the things that are right for your body and for your mind and then you kind of like sort of throw all of that away yeah for the sake of what and then you kind of beat yourself up and it just starts this whole like shame cycle which then alcohol in a way can kind of ease as well like you have some some kind of respite from those guilty shameful feelings when you're drinking and it's weird that's like that kind of binge drinking that you describe i think is really common particularly among kind of like high functioning problem drinkers right people who are using alcohol as a way to like as a stand-in for real relaxation real connection um real inspiration whatever it is um and and are almost kind of 
I don't know, then the, the flip side of that as well is like that, that mentality of like, well, if I'm good for five days, I can like buy myself two days of being bad. And yeah. again, it's that thing of like labeling some of our behavior good, some of our behavior bad. If we want to, if we want to engage in the bad behavior, does that make us a bad person? It just gets so murky. Yeah. And that really resonates with me because I would, I would remember, I would sometimes try to justify what I've done on the weekend because, oh, you know what? I needed to feel this bad about myself so I can go to the gym and eat this healthy because I feel that bad. So it's like, okay, it's, <laughs> it was, yeah, it's, it's, it's like I would justify my weekends yeah. because it was set me on a good path for Monday because, you know, but well, then, you know. Well, it, again, it kind of like, it's a really puritanical mindset that that breeds as well or plays into because it's like punishing my, I need to almost punishing my, punishing myself is good. Yeah. Punishing myself shows I'm a good person, which is just such a sad way mm-hmm. to kind of like, live our lives but it's something that's kind of indoctrinated in us in a way that punishment self-deprivation these make what make us good like morally good people whereas engaging in anything pleasurable or transgressive or whatever is somehow sinful and Mm -hmm. i think that that's just i'm really ready to disrupt that mindset as well (laughs) i'm pausing us here to tell you about another zero proof brand that is all set to seriously shake up the sober curious cocktail scene Liars is a line of 12 non-alcoholic spirits that have been crafted using all-natural essences and extracts to match the exact taste, aroma, and even appearance of regular spirits, but with absolutely no alcohol. Developed in Australia, they're named for the native lyrebird, which is known for its ability to perfectly mimic all kinds of sounds. And this is truly one of the most innovative products I've come across in the zero-proof space. It opens up a whole world of sophisticated spirit-free options, making it easier than ever to pass on the booze, stay true to what feels good for you, and experience all the benefits of living hangover-free. Brand new to the US and the UK and coming to a bar near you very soon, you can learn more about the brand, get recipes, and find your local stockist at liars.co. That's L-Y-R-E-S dot co. And don't forget, you can join me for a deep dive into all things Sober Curious on my weekend-long retreat at Kripalu in Massachusetts, which is taking place February 14th to 16th, 2020. Over two days and three nights, I'll be guiding participants through a series of workshops and interactive exercises to help us connect with some of the deep whys behind our drinking, which can give us so much information about the changes in both behaviors and beliefs that will lead to a sustainable shift going forward. This weekend is open to all, regardless of where you're at with your sobriety. And while it's not a replacement for rehab or a 12-step recovery program, it may provide some useful tools and perspectives to help you on this path. You can find all the details, including pricing and accommodation options, along with a full schedule for what I have planned at kripalu.org. That's K-R-I-P-A-L-U dot org. Just search Sober Curious on the website. Now back to Nikki and Annika. I'd love to hear a bit about your like upbringing. It was so nice to meet your mum, and she's such a kind of bubbly, <laughs> positive, like such an uber positive person. And what what kind of like what you you mentioned, you know, some of your teenage experiences in Quebec. Mm-hmm. But what kind of what were the messages you got about alcohol and drinking when you guys were growing up? So honestly, I don't like. I don't think our parents really drank much at all. Like, we would never be the family that had, like, wine at dinner or, like, beers to watch the game or anything like that. Um, I think they gave us a lot of, like, flexibility and independence, and it was 
I mean, for me personally, something that I kind of explored more on my own mm. and more like through friend circles and stuff um, versus really at home. Mm. Yeah, we never really drank as a family, mm. even at family events or anything like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Nobody really pulled out alcohol. Right. Which um, is quite unusual, I feel like. Or maybe it's not. Maybe it's just that, you know, in my circles, particularly in the UK, I guess, like, alcohol is just the kind of ever-present thing. Although I guess I sort of shared last night at our event, my mum was never a real drinker. She'd be the kind of person, like, have a glass of sherry at Christmas, you yeah. know, or maybe a glass of wine mm-hmm. with dinner occasionally. Whereas my dad was like, a bottle of wine gets opened every day. He wouldn't drink the whole bottle, but it was just, like, the ever-present thing. So... Yeah, yeah like I, I don't know. It didn't. Did it seem unusual to you that alcohol wasn't in the home, or did you, was it just like n- a non-issue? I mean, yeah, not really. I guess I never really tuned into it, and yeah. was never really, you know. I mean, when we were younger, yeah, it just it wasn't there. It wasn't an everyday presence. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, um, probably more of like occasions and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, not, not too much alcohol. <laughs> like, I, like growing up, there was no memory of seeing my parents drunk or anything. Right. Like that. Yeah. Um, Which I just think is very interesting. You know, we think about how behaviors are learned. And again, it's something I spoke about last night when people who've got kids question, how should I talk to my children about alcohol? What mm -hmm. should I teach them? What's the healthiest way to set them up to have like a positive or a healthy relationship to alcohol? Mm -hmm. And my response to that is kind of like, well, first of all, you need to question how you're drinking because actually your behavior and what you're modeling to them is what they're going to take on board much more so than what you say. Mm -hmm. And I think that both of you, you know, you've expressed that in the outer world, you know, different social circles, work circles, the pressure to drink is there, Mm -hmm. but it strikes me that neither of you have had an attachment to alcohol that has felt particularly deeply ingrained. And I just wonder if that comes from having that modeling, which was kind of like, alcohol is just a thing in the world. Mm-hmm. You can take it or leave it, but we don't really need it, you know? And I think that's really healthy. Yeah. yeah. It seems really healthy to me. Yeah. I mean, like we said, our, our dad's a very health focused mm. kind of guy, always trying to find the new hack to be <laughs> his best self. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, he was never really big into alcohol. Mm. Yeah. So how did you all wind up as a family going to a, like, cannabis celebration party? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that leads into, I think our, you know, our, our dad actually led the way into cannabis as a wellness product. Interesting. Because as he was, you know, researching, you know, how to, how to become the best self, right? Mm. He, he got into CBD and mm. some of the wellness benefits that cannabis can provide. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, I think as a family, we may have consumed cannabis all together, right? Right before we all got drunk together, maybe. <laughs> I um, love that. So yeah, he's he kind of led that way into, you know, bringing bringing that into our family. That's very interesting. Which again is like quite progressive thinking <laughs> to actually see this as a medicine and to see this as something that can have benefits and mm. actually, whereas alcohol is isn't it's a medicine but it doesn't necessarily have like a adjunct you know benefits to Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. it can numb things it's an anesthetic ultimately but like it doesn't bring anything to the table like cannabis can do yeah although of course everything can be abused yeah no exactly yeah um but yeah 
I don't know. I found it that's, yeah, like you said, it's kind of been like for me, like a little life hack really to, especially at my age, I'm like, wow, like I'm so early on this train to be like, wow, I have a whole life to live like, and without alcohol, like realizing it and just being so much more aware of it, you know, it's just that awareness and what I was telling Nikki, it's like these little like sober curious like goggles that I have now. And it's like, you just view things through a very different lens Mm -hmm. that you just like I said, you wouldn't have thought twice about it, right? Mm-hmm. But now, um, for example, we were like watching this movie, right? And one of the scenes was all the ladies going out and they were having fun, but they went to the club and like the scene was just like shots on shots on shots. And we kind of just took a step back and we all looked at each other and asked like, do you guys notice that? Like that, you know, you just would have never yes. thought twice about that scene in a movie. It would have just been like, that's part of the movie. But this time you're like, Wow, they're consuming a lot of alcohol. Like, no, like in that, they're not—they're not, they're not going to feel good tomorrow. <laughs> like, you Is know? it the one with the mums and they go to New York? Yeah, Mother's Day or something. Yes, yeah. I watched that. Motherhood. Just watched that. That's literally it. I can picture the scene because mm-hmm. I was thinking the same thing. It's similarly, with my sober curious goggles <laughs> on now, we can just look at popular culture yeah. and see how normalized excessive mm-hmm. alcohol consumption is and how glamorized yeah. it is. Yeah. Like I watch, you know, The Affair and like practically every scene, someone's pouring a glass of wine. It's yeah. just so normalized. And it's not until you take that step back that you really see that, right? Like mm. it, for everyone else, they probably just see that and it's like, you don't think twice. And then now it's like, oh. Wow, that's a lot of alcohol being consumed, and that you know that doesn't look good for your body. Yeah, yeah. your eyes and your ears become just so you know perky. To yeah, everything. perky. Like we went skiing, and the guys behind us are cracking open beers <laughs> on the lift, and like I would have never even you know observed that <laughs> yeah, before. Right. But I'm like, well, I wonder how many they're gonna have. Are they gonna foam up? Like it's like all the, you know the whole. <laughs> are they gonna be endangering fellow skiers? <laughs> I mean, just is drunk skiing a thing? Can you get a du du ski? <laughs> <laughs> and so you just you hear all these little like things right now that you're you're more in tune with what what's going on and, totally. and it's, you know, I wish you, you, you wish you had some groovies in your backpack to like hand them in we, that we moment. did hand it to the bar and oh, we're like you, you know obviously skiing and beer goes well like we you know we should have these options for people definitely that Prosecco for the apres ski <laughs> it's perfect mm-hmm. <laughs> where did the name groovy come from you want me to take it? Sure. <laughs> um, so obviously, you know, groovy back in the 60s is mm-hmm. cool and, mm-hmm. and kind of out there. And so we wanted, you know, we wanted to bring that word back and try to make, you know, something that probably wasn't cool, non-alcoholic beer. And, and <laughs> 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 Sinsky, might, might get there hopefully one day. But no, you're right. A couple of years ago, not cool. Not cool. Mm-hmm. Changing. Right. Yes, yeah. And so, you know, let's let's take a cool word and, and try to bring the cool back to mm-hmm. non-alcoholic beer and, and wine. Mm-hmm. And you know what groovy really means is, you know, having fun, being silly, you know, letting loose. And that was always associated with, well, either getting high or consuming alcohol. But we're trying to show that you don't need those things to get groovy, right? Like you can... Be silly and be yourself and you don't need alcohol or any other substance to be that person, right? I love it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really, really cool. And then we just <laughs> funked up how we spelled it and yeah. <laughs> made it cool. Yeah, yeah we're like, when, when we were thinking of how, what, what kind of person we wanted Groovy to be is, is, is like Annika said, right? Like out there, somebody who shares their thoughts, um, somebody who can have fun without alcohol. And so we took that person who we determined Groovy was and turned it into the packaging. Mm. Right, so vibrant colors, you know, very minimalistic, chic um, kind of look to it. 
and you know the last thing we wanted to do was put it in a brown bottle mm. and make mm. it look you don't want to blend in yeah, yeah blend in like this is like it, it is beer but it, it almost isn't you know, it's a new category it's a new in a category way. Yeah. so it, it needs it needs new life to it you can't, exactly can't be can't look too much like beer I like the fact as well, because when I think about, you know, Groovy, the, the whole kind of 60s movement was a counterculture. And it was about mm-hmm. creating a massive shift in consciousness, you yeah. know? And I think that actually Sober Curious is a counterculture yeah. that many more people are kind of like finding their way to. But mm-hmm. it's basically, it's creating a paradigm shift in terms of the way that we socialize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it kind of fits or follows on from that 60s ideology in a way. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And kind of the, one of the one of the... The things that you know, I want Ruby to become is I, I want people to try non-alcoholic products. People that do drink alcohol, mm. I want them to try non-alcoholic products mm. um, because there's this amazing effect that you can when you get when you have a non-alcoholic beer, and you realize that you've gotten the same social experience of an alcoholic beer, mm-hmm. um, and you can apply it to so many areas of your life where you may be trying to reduce alcohol, right? If mm. it's you know, during the week or mm-hmm. when you are trying to, you know, just have one drink with a friend, like non-alcoholic beer during can be sporting. amazing, amazing <laughs> replacement Yeah, if people can g- get over that first little hump of trying it. Exactly. And I think people are like scared of the category, right? Like yeah. it's like, sometimes you get that reaction, like, no, like I don't even want to try it. And we're like, it's not going to kill you. Just give it a try. Right. And then they try it and they're like, oh, well, that's pretty good. I like that. And you're like, mm-hmm, yeah. See, like, you know, so it's it's kind of making that first step. And that's why we yeah. really try to do a lot of samplings and events and, you know, kind of connect with the consumers and be able to talk to them and hear their stories. Mm-hmm. And I think also through that, we've, in this short amount of time, have had some very inspiring stories. And we'll have people that come to our booth and they're, they're crying because they're they're so happy that this product is there for them now and they've struggled with, you know, social anxiety and then family history mm. and, you know, and, and it's just so emotional and, mm. and you're like, wow, this is amazing, right? Mm. Like to be able to provide that for someone and to get that really, yeah, that. exactly. Totally. Mm-hmm. So what are terpenes? I've been saying that on all my kind of like <laughs> promo spots throughout this. What is a terpene? Um, so uh, uh, terpenes are essentially the essential oils in plants. Okay. So it gives okay. it the aroma and the yeah. smell um, that a plant has. And so terpenes are basically what's in aromatherapy. Like mm-hmm. when you smell mm-hmm. lavender, you know how lavender makes you relax a mm-hmm. little bit. Mm-hmm. Or if you're smelling citrus, it's supposed to be a little bit more uplifting. Mm. Um, okay. So that's so not so, it's not so complicated. Yeah. Yeah. But the, <laughs> the term terpene is very... Um, tied into cannabis ah, because right. in the cannabis plant you know you have thc you have mm, cbd mm, but are they terpenes they're not terpenes okay. but um kind of the last effect of the whole plant is the terpene so okay. whether it's citrusy or um, so it creates those different strains of citrus flavors and right okay yeah all right that makes sense so i guess cannabis plants have strong terpenes mm-hmm. because like you can smell someone holding a bag of weed like uh, down the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, the aroma is very pungent. On yeah, it, right. So. so do they have any kind of like psychoactive effect? Even in the sense of like you said, they kind of, they can be mood enhancing, or is yeah, that part so, of it? Yeah. Yeah. So the the effects would be the same as aromatherapy. It wouldn't okay. be psychoactive. Okay. Right. Yeah. And so when we were deciding on going back to the cannabis mm, idea, mm. we're like, you know, how can we create some beverages that would really go well with cannabis? 
And we found that that right, tie was terpenes. Yeah, cool. And so we chose the ingredients in each one of the beers in the Prosecco to have a specific terpene that cool. would go well with cannabis. So depending that, on yeah so our our sour beer mm. is brewed of lemon peel mm. and that's where you get like the citrusy mm -hmm. um smell that cannabis mm -hmm. have and that terpene is kind of responsible for a little bit of uplifting energy awake um right and you, you know you love our prosecco but it's very floral yeah and that's that's kind of the lavender terpene coming in so the the properties would be a little bit more relaxing on something like that very cool so how do people like this is something I've been fascinated with just again as an entrepreneur who kind of creates things in the world like this is making beverages and package and all of that stuff for people who you haven't got any experience in that world like where do you start <laughs> I see all these brands coming into the space and I'm like how do how do you get the information to even like create this product like do you work it hand in hand with a brewery or like how does it work yeah, no, I'm, it's a lot of, you know, you start, you, you start somewhere and you keep asking for referrals yeah. and questions until you, until you get there. And it's, it's really hard as a, I found as a startup to get beverages made because, right. you know, it's a lot of upfront work for the brewer or for the winemaker to, you know, work to develop the products mm. and they probably think you're going to fail, right? Mm. So they're like, you know, why would I spend all this time helping this small brand develop this IPA when who knows if they can even reorder or if it's mm. going to sell and stuff like that. Mm. So I think the biggest challenge for small businesses is, you know, getting your foot in the door to yeah. have somebody help make your product. Yeah. And kind of my advice is you just got to, you got to pretend that you're going to be the biggest thing, <laughs> right? You, you know, cause they'd, they'd ask for, you know, how, how much, how much beer are you going to sell next year? And you just, make up these really high numbers and, and they're like okay like I bet I better work with this guy because he's gonna sell a lot of beer and and you kind of gotta you know pretend you're so much bigger than than you are and, yeah right you know let, my dad and I would play off each other sometimes well, like, you also have that confidence that it really is gonna you know. yeah we're like okay we're going to uh, be in seven states you know in this and then we're gonna, then we're gonna go to Europe and you say you're like you know you you have to be big um, yeah. to be able to which again, it comes back to that self-belief thing. And I just think that's such a, it can be so fragile sometimes in a society where, particularly if we've had any kind of like knocks in the past or we've had anything to kind of like, any failures in the past. Mm -hmm. um, that's something I've really enjoyed about starting this, seeding this movement in America. There's a, there is a very kind of open-minded attitude to new ideas mm -hmm. and let's give it a shot, you know, let's, let's see how this goes, you know, and just kind of, and, and, and I think that can help sort of like seed self-belief in a way. But do you have any sort of like tricks for tricks, but like tips for days when you might be feeling doubtful or self-doubt creeps in, like how do you kind of override that? I guess it maybe helps that you're a family unit and you can kind <laughs> yeah. of like lean on each other for support as well. Yeah. I like to, I like to write everything down at the end of each day. Mm. Um, just all my thoughts mm -hmm. so I can start the next day whether it was a great day or a bad day like those those thoughts are now done and I can start the next day fresh so even if it was a a, a poor day then write down all the bad, the bad things that happened and it, it, I feel like it's a good way to flush it out of my system so I'm not spending the energy to continue to worry about it yeah I love that. It's kind of like the opposite of having a drink at the end of the day. Because mm -hmm. actually I feel like if at the end of the day you're just like, I'm going to switch off with having a drink, you're kind of like pouring 
a numbing substance or a depressant actually mm-hmm. onto yeah, all solving. of those days experiences <laughs> yeah. and they're just kind of getting crunched further and further down and they're For still sure. with you lingering when you wake up slightly hungover the next day and just kind of that feeling I can mm-hmm. almost feel it in my body now of like just dragging this kind of heaviness along with you I love that idea I haven't I really heard that one before of just like yeah, it's get just, it all it's, out at the end of the day you hear yeah. more about people kind of like writing stuff out in the morning but the end of the day seems good yeah and I don't mind looking at it I'll look at it again in the morning mm. um to see if it's something that I need to fix mm-hmm. that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it is nice. I do find, like me personally, I find when you write something down, then your mind can let it go because there's not, you're not going to worry that you've, you forgot about it completely because it's on your notebook, but you know, you don't, maybe don't think less about it. Mm, totally. So what do you think? I mean, what, where do you see this kind of industry going? Do you think that, like, you know, big alcohol are looking at you guys and being like, shit, we need to get on this and are going to kind of, like, sweep in with massive budgets and, like, distribution and just kind of, like, take over? Do you think it'll? Re- do you think that the craft beer market that you're in is going to continue to thrive and grow as people look for more diverse options? Like, how do you, how do you see things playing out? Yeah, I kind of see it similar to how the craft beer movement played out in, like, the 90s or even... More recently, how like the gluten-free beer mm. market kind mm-hmm. of played out, right? There's there's craft players that you know consumers are obviously going to choose because they're they're local or they're they're authentic. They only make in our case, we only make non-alcoholic beer, right, mm. uh, or wine. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know we're going to have those customers, but big beer is definitely going to come in. Um, it's it's a market that's growing really quickly and mm. there's a lot of opportunity on it mm. um, so I at some point I do expect them to create a brand and yeah. have big marketing budgets which we've already seen from like Heineken exactly yeah. um, mm-hmm. and massive distribution but um, I think there's room for numerous types of offerings for yeah. people mm-hmm. right and right now there's it's so it's so limited right now that yeah um, there's there's definitely room for for everyone yeah and to some extent the big guys you know they're, they're kind of growing that category as well I mean they have the budgets to be able to do those kinds of advertising and kind of get that word out there that this movement is growing which um, you know um, but as groovy like in a smaller company I don't think I think there's still always going to be space for us because of that kind of innovation and you know more of where we hold ourselves as a company and really the values behind it it was all focused on being alcohol free it's not just like you know we have regular beer but we're also going to throw this over there for the other guys right like that's all that we're really about is providing that option and helping you be social and comfortable in those settings and those are our values and i think that's always going to be something that people are going to connect with more than, you know, Heineken 0.0, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm super happy if people start with Heineken 0.0. That's their first intro to mm-hmm. non-alcoholic beer. It's, it's They've done a good job and made a great beer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when they're looking for more innovative styles that are not, you know, macro beers that yeah. you know they can they can switch to some of the craft yeah and even if it is things like cool branding and kind of like nimble you know nimble sort of small batch offerings and mm-hmm. things like that mm-hmm. it's an, I, I actually like now we're just talking about it i think that having more budgets from big booze go into this space it's only going to increase awareness mm-hmm. and exactly. only going to build a bigger audience yeah, in exactly. the end so yeah. it's it's all a good thing isn't it yeah mm-hmm. and we've you know i i really enjoy when a bar when i because i've been trying to sell them to bars and restaurants here mm-hmm. in colorado and like we we're gonna make a big push for those type of establishments because 
you know, it's great if people buy it on the shelf at retail, but to enjoy a full social experience, it needs to be, you know, with, with alcohol. Right. And, and, and that's where we want to be. Um, yeah, in the social setting. Yeah, in the social setting. Mm -hmm. So we strive to concert venues, you know, restaurants and stuff like Mm. that. And what we found is that, you know, the bar has been like, you know what, people are buying more Heineken Zero Zero or Oduels. People have started buying it. So they're, they've been more open to trying something new because the big boys have let it. And now people are starting to see the the demand. So it's, I think it's only positive. Yeah, totally. And I think the key is kind of the community. It's like, it's like, don't be scared to ask for those options. Even if they don't have it, you asking, being like, do you have a non-alcoholic option? That registers with their head and then they will be like, oh yeah, I got asked that question a few more times. Now I need to have those options. And, you know, then we're able to create that space where it's just as normal to order a groovy as it is to, you know, order a margarita or whatever, right? Totally. And you, that's what we want really is, you know, it's, you don't want to feel any guilt or shame to order something that's non-alcoholic. We mm-hmm. want that space to be just as comfortable and like everyone around you to accept it, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I choose rest- I choose my restaurants by whether or not yeah. whether they yeah. have alcohol-free beer on the menu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll look. I'll look at if someone suggests meeting up somewhere. I'll look at the menu online before we go, and I'm like, nope, they're not serving me. Like, I'm gonna look for somewhere else. I'm gonna suggest somewhere I know I can get what I want. You know. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, as with anything, the more we lead with. And when we state what we want, the people will, they'll have to be a response to that. Yeah. yeah. Consumers have the most power, right? Yeah. Where they choose to spend their money, where, mm-hmm. you know, where they want to go out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people, people will change, establishments will change mm-hmm. depending on what people want. I was speaking to one of the guys from Liars, who've also sponsored a couple of these podcast episodes, um, and he was describing it. He he sees it in similar terms to the meat-free movement and the way that vegetarianism and now veganism is so much more acceptable and popular. Mm-hmm. He's like, mm-hmm. it used to be, you if you asked for it in a restaurant, they'd bring you over a separate menu. And so there'd be that whole kind of stigma about like, he needs a special menu, like you're taking ages to order, they might not have what you want to then it being its own separate, small little dedicated spot in the regular Mm -hmm. menu. Whereas to now, it's like, you know, the most progressive and coolest places have like a really solid vegetarian offering. And then maybe even just a couple of meat dishes. Gluten-free, vegan, just a little little bit of everything for it. Yeah, yeah. And I think we'll get get there. Like it's it's moving quickly. Mm -hmm. It's moving really quickly. Well, you guys, it's been so nice to meet you in person and to like hear your full story. Um, Thank you for doing what you're doing. It's really (laughs) great and it makes my life easier and yeah, more delicious. So thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. And and thank you for doing what you're doing as well, because (laughs) even at your event yesterday, you could tell that um, you've given a, a voice to people, like people who are genuinely interested in talking about this. And so to be able to give them, you know, the right language and a forum. Um, it's definitely helping out a yeah. ton of people. And like you said, even especially now, like going back to Toronto with my group of friends, like, you know, you have created that space where I'm like, no, just read this book and then you can talk to me, right? Like then you'll understand maybe a little more, right? And so I think that's just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for reflecting that back to me. Mm-hmm. Guys, um, here's to many fun future collabs. Um, you have to come to New York soon. Sounds good. <laughs> Aren't they just the nicest people? It's thanks partly to guys like Nikki and Annika and their family that the Sober Curious conversation is gaining so much traction as it shows there's a demand for products that support this lifestyle. 
Whole Foods has even named zero proof drinks one of their key trends for 2020. And rather than this being about commercializing people's sobriety, which is something I sometimes hear in response to this industry, I think this is a major step towards making it as normal not to drink as it is to drink and changing the whole way we think about drinking and alcohol culture for future generations. Imagine what a different world we'd live in if more kids grew up in families where alcohol was just not on the table, literally. And making it as easy as possible to choose something different is a huge part of this. Thank you again for being here for these conversations and for showing up for this work. I'll be back with season three of the podcast on January 23rd, 2020. I'm already lining up some fantastic interviews that I can't wait to share with you. And in the meantime, you can catch up on any past episodes you may have missed. If you listen on iTunes, I would also so appreciate if you'd subscribe and leave a five-star review as this really does help other people find the series. Wishing you a happy hangover-free holidays, however you celebrate or mark the transition into the new year. And I'll see you on the other side. This podcast features original music and is edited by alloaudio.com. That's A-L-O-E audio.com. 